Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crushed. Uh, it's me, Chris Denson, your glorious. I'm going. I'm going to go with glorious today. Sometimes okay. I say gracious, but I'm going to go with. I'm gonna, I, f- <laughs> I feel glorious. Awesome. Van glorious. Um, that was a really old throwback hip hop moment. Uh, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things. And today, it's a fun name to say, Modi Oyewole. Yeah, that's me. Nice, I hit it. <laughs> uh, um, explain the name. Let's 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 just start there, and then we'll explain the the man behind the name. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm Nigerian, so my name is actually from. It's a Yoruba name. Um, my first name is Modele, actually, and it means the child has come home. So um, I think I was named after one of my mom's like good friends or uncles, like you know. But quote unquote. Yeah, quote okay, unquote no, for no. sure. I, I actually don't know. I know he's not. You know, directly. You know, one of my uncles that I grew up with. But yeah, that's my name. Um, and I was born in America, but my parents are both Nigerian. So nice. Yep. Um, we'll get more into that later. But I guess for now, if you don't mind doing a little bit of a, a 101 on uh, who Modi is, what, what you're into. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'm from the D.C. metropolitan area and um, I went to Boston College. And when I was at B.C., I started a radio show with my friend Quinn. Uh, it was called DC to BC from DC, went to Boston College. And that uh, was just one of those eye opening experiences where I got to meet and connect with a lot of folks um, in the industry before they became big. You know, this was when blogs started to kind of pop. So, you know, people like Drake and Wiz Khalifa and J. Cole, Travis Scott, Kendrick Lamar. We were talking to all of them on MySpace, or Kid Cudi, you know, uh, MySpace, Twitter, Instagram. We were just connecting with these folks before um, they became stars. And uh, eventually, after we graduated from school, we started throwing concerts and uh, the concert business turned into us throwing a music festival called Trelectro in the in the D.C. area. Um, And now I live in Los Angeles and uh, work at Epic Records as a marketing director. So, you know, that's a little bit. I mean, there's a lot more, but that's like (laughs) that's 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 a a bit of it. Good foundational thing, and you also have your own agency, which is pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, it all. the agency is just a lot of freelance work housed under one name, so people can get it. I mean, I just wanted to package it in a way that people can understand it, because a lot of people just don't really understand what I do until I make it digestible. So I just called, I just made it up. It's called Heating Up. Um, it's a nostalgic reference from NBA Jam, if you guys are video game <laughs> fans. And uh, I, I used to work at Nike. Um, so, you know, I, I'm into sports and I figured it would just be a cool way to kind of like create something that speaks to um, people that are into culture, lifestyle. And my background is in marketing. So it kind of combines all my experiences into one. And the agency aims to kind of uh, speak to that Gen Z millennial consumer um, of color or just tapped into the culture, um, trying to connect them with experiences and, and cool brands. So, yeah. When, when did the personal brand story become important to you? Right. Cause you know, I think there's a point in, in most innovators journey where you're like, you've dabbled in so many different things. Um, but like you said, at some point people don't get it or you have to figure out a way to, get the work really at the end of the day yeah i mean honestly i think it was the way it really started was i didn't really know how to do my taxes my parents didn't you know they're from 
uh, they work at the World Bank and they're here on specific visas and they didn't have to do taxes growing up. So I never grew up in a household that was like we were doing taxes. I never really understood taxes. So when it came for, you know, I think 2018 wrapped up or 2017 wrapped up um, and I had to do my taxes for, and I had all these like, what are they, 1099s, I think. <laughs> right. And I was just confused. I was like, shit, yeah. like, I don't really know how to do all this. And because I have Trelectro, that's way, a business. I don't think anybody knows how to do their taxes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not that's alone. A playing field. Like nobody okay. knows how to do taxes. Like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, with Trelectro, we have a company with the three of us. But I was like, I want to understand it without, you know, employing uh, an accountant or whatever. Let me just kind of understand my own my own shit. So that was kind of what it, what what informed that decision to kind of make it formal. Um, but I've always been into like branding myself, mm-hmm. um, even if it wasn't just for me, like, you know, uh, my name in the company is called Super Modi. I actually don't even like that name, but I was a big fan of the Mega Man um, nice. video game when I was a kid. And I was like, you know, I, I love that 16 bit um, graphic of him. But I was like, what if we just made him black and changed his outfit to purple? You know, and I just made that like my thing. Uh, one of my design homies just whipped it up for me. And I just was like, this is cool. So I've always been into like branding shit, like the DC to the BC name. I was on a, a bus trip to Boston College from DC with a bunch of DC students. It was a like a student. It was a trip for minorities to check out Boston College and figure out if that's a place they wanted to go. And it didn't have a cool, catchy name. So when I was on the bus trip, I was like, this should just be called DC to BC. Like right. I'm always the guy that's just trying to figure out like, how to make some shit cool to package it up so people can really like consume it. So I don't know. It's just always no, been I'm part of me, like, you know, it's thinking of the, you use the word pr- properly, which was digestible, right? Like how do you, and that's any, any brand story you're working with. And I mean, we can go a little bit through that as well. Cause you've been at Red Bull, you've been at, um, at, at Nike, you know, you got your electro Epic, <laughs> And a lot of that is like mass storytelling, but still pointed toward a direction of conversion of some sort. So how do you approach that? Like, oh, we have a cool name because it's going to still funnel into like a business transaction. Or is that even part of the process that you go through? I was going to say, I'm not even I mean, I'm not even sure. You know, I never really I wasn't a marketing student as in undergrad. I actually was a communication student and an English um, student. And I never knew the correct terms or like processes by the book. I kind of just like marketing to me is just figuring out how to make something digestible to a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do you, how do you present something in a way that makes somebody want to engage with the product or service or whatever? So, I mean, may, I may do it, but it may just be unconscious. Like I'm not really thinking about it. Or maybe well, I, I think, am. Uh, well, I think you know? in, in, in some sense, it's like you, your starting point is a different point than somebody else, right? If I'm a, if I'm the marketing director at Red Bull, I'm yeah. you know, or the head of sales, I'm trying to figure out how to sell these things. Your job is go. You start culture first, yeah. Right. Yep. Like, um, what was your? I, I guess being a comms major, what was the affinity to the culture and the music? That kind of made it your career because, you know, obviously you could have gone into banking. You could have like, you could have figured out you could have been a tax preparer. I could have uh, been. <laughs> no, but like what was what was the thing that like resonated within you deeply that made this the the career moves? Man, honestly, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, a combination of, you know, in, in high school, my favorite class was English. 
And it was really because of this professor, I mean, sorry, this teacher, uh, Mr. Pat Warden, who just was super creative. And he he kind of brought the creativity out of me. It was the one class that I really, really loved going to outside of like, you know, I like chorus and and, in middle and lower school, we had um, music class. But like it was it was that that really um, brought the creativity out of me. So when I got to college and I understood what, you know, a blog spot was and you know, school was cool, um, but I was doing the radio show with my partner Quinn. And I, we were getting so much music submissions from people, especially back home in D.C., because we had this platform. And I think we were pretty like popular kids on campus um, just because we were the guys that were trying to put people on to new shit, mm-hmm. whether it be music or like, you know, we were tapped in just to the just to the culture. Like, you know, we were just kind of the thought leaders in the space on campus. Um, and you know, the writing was an outlet for me. So I would write the, the blog was, you know, basically we started the radio show and the radio show was a two hour show twice a week. But back then bandwidth was an issue. So if you didn't tap in early enough, you may not be able to listen to the show. And my, our thought was like, yo, let's record this show and put it on a blog spot. Wow. And then I was like, OK, bet. Well, we have this space now where we can talk, you know, endlessly about whatever we want. We don't mm-hmm. have two hours of, you know, space. We have kind of as much space as we want. So um, I used that space to write about artists that maybe we didn't talk about, but were similar to the ones that we were playing on the air. And then I was also like, well, I have this interesting blog that's, you know, it doesn't really have a form. I want to tell creative stories as well. or just like walk people through my life. So if I take a trip to New York for a week on spring break and go visit my friends at NYU, I'm going to go to all these streetwear stores and, and write about them and take pictures with this, you know, with the camera I bought. And just tell stories or if I'm interested in this girl, you know, um, I, I may write about it in, in a way that's like people can relate to. You feel me? Mm-hmm. And I remember it was actually Lupe Fiasco. He had a blog on Hypebeast.com back when Hypebeast had like, you know, they had like blogger sections. And I got a lot of my like I, I was a big Lupe fan um, around then. And I got a lot of my, I guess, inspiration from him, the way he spoke about stuff. And he just had an interesting writing style. So I would try to figure out like my style. And that's kind of how like the blog became a thing. It was also a place, this is back when comment sections were a big thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people would, you know, discuss, I'd write something and there'd be a discussion that was prompted in the comment section. So it was like, we created a community much like, you know, Nike talk or like any forum back in the day. Um, you know, it was just, I don't know. I just love seeing people interact and connect um, and that was probably what made me say, you know, there's something here in, in this entertainment space that's attracting people or connecting people. And I want to figure out how to be a part of that. But I really didn't plan anything. It just kind of was like a, a thing I did out of passion. Eventually, we started monetizing the blog and I didn't even know that was a thing. People reached out to us like, yo, we love what you're doing. Can you put this banner on your site? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a college kid, if I'm making $80 a week, like I'm rich. You right, feel me? Right. <laughs> so. I, you know, that's kind of just where I saw the opportunity to to make money in this space. But I, you know, I didn't know what. I think. I mean, what was interesting to me about that is like you st- st- continue to stick to who you are as an individual, right? Um, where most of us, I mean, you know, or I'll say myself, at some point along the lines, I was being very strategic. Like when I was in college, like I have an engineering degree that I used for a year, right? Because because I, <laughs> I was being like. 
oh, I have this type of degree. I'll get this kind of job. I, it wasn't anything. I was like, I love, I've worked at Chrysler. Like, it wasn't like I loved mm. transmissions. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, but at some point, like that passion b- does turn into some sort of strategy. Like you get a, you get a glimpse of what could be. Uh-huh, um, for sure. How much of that became sort of like, where did this, the personal strategy come in to like, okay, I'm, I see what this can do. Now let's let it unfold a little bit more. Like, what was that process like? Hmm. I think that probably happened after I graduated. Um, I didn't, I didn't have a job. I graduated during the the recession. The, Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I ended up moving to New York and taking an unpaid internship at Complex Magazine. Uh, this is back before they were bought by Verizon and were just this, you know, huge entity. It was like very editorial based and the team was super small. You know, everybody that's running the company now was just trying to figure it out back then. It was like Joe LaPuma, Brendan Frederick, my man Donnie Kwok, who actually hired me um, or I guess selected me <laughs> to be an intern. Um, yeah, so it was kind of like, then is where I got to see like, okay, this is the evolution of blogging. This is how this shit's really mm-hmm. going to, you know, like this is what's going on. I was transcribing interviews and, and you know, I was, my first interview I think was with Big Sean. Um, I had to go to the Def Jam office and um, I, actually my roommate at the time was his product manager. Um, so when she saw me walk in, she was so confused. And I was like, no, I'm actually here to talk to Sean. So, you know, I got that exposure to, like I was the person to connect with Big Sean and Big Sean's interview was going to go on, on Complex and Complex was one of the few places you could tap into the culture. Mm-hmm. And it made me be like, damn, like I'm really in this world. You know, I'm, I'm literally just a kid. What was I, 22? And I'm talking to one of the, you know, Kanye protégés. Mm-hmm. So I think around then is when I was like, I'm tapped into this space. Like I can, I should figure out how to take advantage of my position. You know, does yeah, that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, so let's, let's fast forward, you know, uh, to, I guess let's go to Trilecto because, or Trilectro, sorry. Cause that, I mean, when we met, that was one of the first things you brought up and I was like, that's amazing. Right. You know, um, to turn a radio show primarily into a full on festival with almost 10,000 people. Yeah. 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 Our second year was 10,000, oddly enough. So, um, well, yes, in, in, in two years, right. What that takes wearing a lot of hats, right. Is production is booking is venues is permitting is safety. It, but then it's also like, can people have a good time? What, how did you handle the dynamics of, you know, what, what was required to do that? Uh, man, that's a great question. I mean, it, it, it took, uh, a lot. I think, you know, it started, we first started to bring structure into the company. So the company was founded after we graduated from BC, all of us. I'm 2009, my roommate, Marcel, 2009, and Quinn is 2011. So after he graduated, uh, we, we, you know, LLC'd the company, and then we ended up throwing our first show, with, which was with Kendrick Lamar. This was when he was an unsigned, like, you know, superstar in right. the making. Uh, we did that. 1200 capacity room sold it out in like 13 days. And that's when we realized that we had something. Um, shortly before we, we did that show, we started bringing on interns and we went to all the school. I kind of just like 
saw people that were moving and shaking in the city and was like, you know, they didn't have an opportunity to showcase their skills because um, some of the people they were working for just they weren't producing anything dope. Right. But they had dope people behind the scenes. So I was like plucking people from other entities. And I just made a super team of of interns from, you know, all the area schools. We actually had one high school or two. So we had like, you know, American University, University of Maryland, Howard. We had all the uh, Georgetown. My cousin went to Georgetown. So he was on the squad. And we basically brought in a dream team of, of really smart folks who were trying to figure out what they were going to do in the, in the entertainment music space and delegated. So the three of us, we had two um, investors slash partners at the time. And then we had like five to seven interns and we kind of just divvied up based on interest, you know? So it's like this girl TT wanted to learn how to do partnerships. And like our first year of a festival, like we didn't really know what we were doing, but because we had made this media kit about our site and basically said, yo, this is what we're trying to do. And this is the audience that we attract. We got a, Sved- a Svedka sponsorship and, you know, we had TT and Marcel and myself go to the walkthrough with the venue with with the um, with the sponsor and figured out, you know, how we were going to lay everything out, how much product they were going to give us. And we had no idea what we were doing. I was ask, yeah, you feel me? But it was like <laughs> you just got to go through the motions and right. eventually you figure it out. Um, we're coming up on what year six or seven of our festival. So like it started like that, not really knowing what we were doing, but because we had support and we were able to delegate and, you know, give responsibility to a bunch of folks. It wasn't just three kids running Mm -hmm. around. It was more like 12 to 15, you know, and, um, that was super helpful. I mean, if we didn't have that support in the beginning, I don't know if we would have survived. I think every day, you know, the day of the festival is the one day where I think I may die. Like you literally think you're going to die. It's hard to sleep the night before. And then you're just like, Oh my God, we have so many things to handle. Like the to-do list is endless. It's like, you know, we may, we, we have to pay all these, you know, artists and their management teams. We have to make sure their hotels are straight. We have to make sure we've got the right um, stage stuff for yeah. their production. Like, so, and then you've got, you know, consumers who can say, Oh, you know, I'm not really feeling my experience because this is happening or like, Let me this, pull out Yelp you know, quick. exactly. <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta just kind of right. constantly put out fires. And sometimes you have to just figure out what's more important. You have to prioritize. So, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's a hectic situation. It is but hectic. It, it, there was a conversation we were having before and um, ended up talking to an engineer uh, who does a lot of shows and, and there's an underappreciation of what it takes to put on even just a one day event, like, or maybe it's not underappreciated. I don't think it's it's known. Like, you show up, you get like the music playing, and you leave, like, right, like. Yeah. But um, is there what's the reward, right? Where, where's the gratification? If, if if you feel like you're gonna die that day, <laughs> um, where's the gratification come in from? You know. I mean, we always live vicariously through people's experiences, right? So, like, during the festival, you're not really tapped in. Like, you may have seen history on stage. Like, when we had Travis Scott surprise, he came out as a surprise guest. Uh, Him and Big Sean had a song called Don't Play. And we had brought Travis out as a surprise guest. This was, like, at the, you know, when he started to become this superstar Mm -hmm. performer. And it was the moment that, yes, exactly. Um, this is the moment where, you know, like he, he made an impact. This is what broke the internet. Like he came out and incited a riot at our festival and it became a moment that was talked about 
on you know across the internet and on some radio shows and that i remember that that's yeah. why I, I totally remember when that was like news yep I exactly oh, like 2014 there yeah. it was our fault you know <laughs> and um there's a weird pride in that though right like the fact that something because uh, so i went to michigan state right and uh-huh. um a few years like right after i graduated we won the championship mm. and um Duh. i remember like ah oh, i missed the riot like I was like I, <laughs> yeah. I felt like I missed of out. Of course, on you gotta be, you gotta died. be a part like, of it, hundred percent. And and I mean just to 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 bring it back, like I think the gratification is really just making you know knowing that people had a great time and and hearing people say, "Yo, that was the the best concert experience I've ever seen," or like, "Thank you so much for putting me on SZA." This was twenty fourteen when she wasn't the superstar she is today. You know, like Migos were there, like little Uzi Vert was there as a fan. I saw him in the crowd and I was a fan of his. So I came up to him and I was like, yo, I fuck with your music. Mm-hmm. Two years later, he's damn near headlining our festival. That's amazing. You know, and he met his girlfriend at our festival and he has lines in his music talking about our festival. So I think those moments where it shows that we've impacted culture and people really appreciate what we're what we're doing, you know, that makes it all worth it. I mean, it, you know. I don't know, you know. Well, especially when, I mean, I think, I feel like there's, and I don't know the exact chronology of it, but let's say the last 10 years, like there's been a gigantic rise in festivals, you know, Posty Fest, there's Travis you know, Scott, yeah, the Astro World. Like there's a, yeah, for sure. So, first of all, like that generation that you're talking about, not a lot of disposable income, or they find the money somehow. Yeah, they got parents. You know? <laughs> that's true. That's what we, that's what we bank on. Um, some of them work at the World Bank. There you go. Um, and then, uh, but at, at some point, you're competing for someone's time, money, energy to to spend. How do you stay like top of mind for a consumer? Like when it's time, you know, for the, to make this decision to whether I'm going to go or not, or I can go somewhere else. How do you stay on top of that, like from a brand standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think what we what what we like to leverage is our talent. Um, I mean, if you think about the DC metropolitan area, like when we started doing this, the reason that we were able to do the Kendrick show and have such success is because a lot of artists were skipping DC as a, as a tour uh, date. You know, at the end of the day, <clears throat> before the internet became so helpful for artists to kind of make a name for themselves, they had to go through labels and not a lot of independent artists were doing their thing we came in around the times that blogs were popular and um independent talent could tour without having a radio single right and um we created i mean in dc we created that or or i guess we were instrumental in creating that kind of platform for the city so there was a whole demographic of folks that hadn't been tapped into it at, at that point and we've kind of grown with these kids so i think you know, you know, I'd say we leverage our talent because we're focused on emerging talent and superstar talent and, and having them share a stage. So, you know, that's the really the only thing I think we have to leverage outside of outside of the experience of the festival itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no. And I, and I think also just like the hyper locality of it, right? Like, you know what that city needs, right? And I think sure. that's that's a huge part of the the puzzle you know that that, uh, let's call it empathy for the sake of you know the conversation but like oh i know what these people want and what they don't get and also i I know what the value is going to be for those artists right for sure um so you know you've talked a lot about discovery 
uh, you know, an early Kendrick Lamar and er, like it, the, the list goes on and on of just sort of like, ah, I like this. Right. Like, yeah, my, my daughter the other day was telling one of her friends about, oh, my dad was listening to Khalid before anybody knew mm, who it was. You know, so it's like, <laughs> so it's like cool she, dad. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, you, you GD. Right. Um, but <laughs> but uh, what like where does taste match the business? Right, because that's a that's a tough nut to yeah, crack. Yeah, man, it's it's that's a great question. I mean, I think a lot of people think that we can just book whatever lineup we want to. Um, and initially, it was kind of like that. If you had the money, you could do it. But because the festival circuit is so competitive now, and there's so many festivals, you know, there's radius clauses, which essentially say, "Yo, if you're, you know, if we book this artist for a lineup, they can't do a show within, you know, 270 mile radius." Uh, so like a Philly, a Philadelphia festival has Lil Uzi Vert, we can't book Lil Uzi Vert, you know? There's a lot of that stuff that goes on that that uh, I think the bigger companies do to make sure that they can maximize their profits in their um, in their regions. Um, but I think, you know, if you're, if you're early and strategic about how you book, you can still really have a, a dope lineup that reflects your taste um, and, and, and works within all the little, I guess, all the red tape. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, you know... I mean, it's 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 one of those things where, for the most part, we love to book what we like, what we what we love. But there's sometimes in this industry where agents may say, OK, look, if you want this, you're going to have to take this, too. And that's part of the game that we're learning slowly that <laughs> unless <laughs> you I have, don't want that. Yeah, exactly. And unless you have the leverage, you can't really do much about it. I think, you know, there's ways to make it work for yourself. Um, but. I will say that's one of the tougher things that we had to realize is like we don't have the power yet. Is there something where you know this is gonna be a little? Uh, I'm telling myself a little bit, but for like when I started the show, there was a certain caliber of guest I was looking for, right? Mm. And uh, so congratulations. <laughs> uh, no, but but I would get a lot of requests, especially from like friends and people I knew, and I was just like, like I love what you do and you're dope and yep. et cetera, et cetera. But then I go. Well, why don't you come in and co-host, right? Or I'll find a different way to. Uh, one of my big things I try not to say a, a hard no to anybody is like, no, but we can do this, mm-hmm. right? Is there any other brand assets that you created and leveraged? Like I know Trelectro has its blog, you know, or would there be like a green room video series that you could create? And so, like, yeah, good if question. you want a, then I'll put B <laughs> over here and get and still give them some shine. No, nah, that's that's a great question, and it's something that we're always trying to figure out. I think from a bandwidth perspective, and just to mm. give people an idea of like, you know, working a nine to five. Each of my business partners, we work a nine to five. Uh, we live in Los Angeles, but the majority of our business happens in Washington D.C. So we're there every every so often, but we're not on the ground. We do have a small team on the ground in D.C. right now that's pretty tapped in, um, but we just haven't been able to, I guess, build those properties out like we want to. We had a series called Trelectro Light that we did um, leading up to the festivals and actually it, it got its own legs and we started throwing that often. Um, we we work with a lot of DJs. We actually had a party on Wednesday in DC. It's called Vices and it's a Trelectro property. Mm-hmm. And we have about three or four big like properties or franchises, whatever you want to call them, that we're looking to roll out later this year and in, in, in 2020. Um, so, you know, that's... That's the thing. We want different vehicles for different things because I don't think the festival property fits for everybody. And also some artists, you know, 
aren't going to work. Like they may be artists that we love, but they're not going to sell tickets, Mm -hmm. but we still want to do something with them because we know they're talented. Right. Content is another thing that we're trying to work on. Um, and we have some really cool things in the works. It just is, it's one of those things where like, you just have to be patient and, and wait for everything to materialize. Like a lot of investors are, are reaching out to, to try and help us, you know, build this property like we want to. But I think it's also just like making sure you're making the right decision with your partners that you team up with. Cause they have to have the same type of vision you have. Yeah. You don't want to just take money to take money. You want to take money from people if you take money, take money from people who understand what you're trying to do and see the, the vision and the long-term goals instead of just like, you know, looking for a quick return. Cause the music shit, you know, I, I think it's more of a slow grind than people understand. Well, so that's a good transition point. Cause then you go from, from that. And I know you have, you've had some other jobs in between, but now being at Epic records, which is almost like, the reverse <laughs> you know yeah um finding different places for the music and the artists to you know for for fans to discover yep. offering those points of entry yep. um walk us through a little bit of this uh day-to-day job and some of the artists on the label because i mean it's a pretty fantastic lineup yeah yeah we have a, a bunch of artists in the label um you know epic is the home of travis scott the home of 21 savage the home of mariah carey um you know Trap Call Quest. Um, there's a whole Busta Rhymes. Uh, a lot of emerging talent. Two of the I was artists. I'm gonna make a flip Modi joke. Uh, I decided not to. Shout out Rod Digger. But now just did. So. Um, that's great. <laughs> now nah, Busta's one of the most influential rappers Absolutely. to me in my life ever. Um, you know, and there's also a, a nice roster of emerging artists. We've got an artist named Tyler Yahweh from Orlando, Florida, that I'm working with. Um, also this. This kid, Ade, formerly Phil Ade from D.C., um, working with him as well. And basically my job is to make sure the marketing rollout or strategy for uh, a talent or, sorry, an artist that I'm looking after goes smoothly. That's anything from, like, right now I'm working on getting video shots. So it's like, you know, procuring treatments and making sure they make sense for the music, um, you know, finding the right directors, um we're also working on what do we oh we got some music festivals coming up so making sure um these artists are kind of positioned properly are we doing campaigns on the ground when we get out there um you know finding opportunities whether it's a showcase showcase like i was at south by a few weeks ago with our day and he did the, the revolt showcase and we also did a lot of content with like the pandoras and the titles and, and all those dsps um you know that are important for him to show face on so it's just figuring out how to expose him to to folks. Um, and it's interesting because I've always done it organically. Like I've never mm-hmm. been paid for, for this. I just enjoy putting people on the music and figuring out cool ways to do that. And now it's like, okay, this is my job. Um, an example, Ade, he came out as Phil Ade years ago and then kind of went dormant. So when he came back, I, I came up with this concept of, creating missing posters in the DC area where he's from because everybody knows who he is, but he's, he's disappeared for a bit. And if he's coming back with major label backing and we've got the budget to create this, you know, out of home campaign, we pasting it and and creating something that's going to make people ask questions either like, Oh my God, is he okay? Or like, Whoa, still have new music coming out. And that was kind of the goal. And that was my first kind of like, I guess, activation or marketing project I did at, at Epic and it went well. 
Um, but it was one of those things met with a lot of resistance because people were like, either this is corny or it's scary. Like people are going to be shocked and confused and think he's not okay. And that was what I was going for. You know, <laughs> I wanted to create wanted conversation. To just, just cause a stir. Exactly. Cause the project is dope. And a lot of, th- a lot of times the labels, like what I'm realizing is, you know, um, you have to champion your artists because there's so many artists at the label. If you're not constantly doing something, even internally, people may forget. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen, I've seen, you know, Dex talking about new talent on the on the on the label, and my artists aren't included. Because, so it makes me realize that I have to go harder, and I have to make sure that people always have my talent top of mind. So it's just one of those things where you have to figure out how to create buy-in and, and move properly uh, at at the company to make sure you know you're you're doing what you're supposed to do for your for your artists. Um, you self-corrected a minute ago. You you said talent, and then you said artist. What's the, what's oh, the no, I, I just didn't think grammatic. Like, I didn't think it sounded good. But Oh, oh I okay. I thought it was day, like some industry nomenclature. Nah, was, not I even. Not even. Talent, artist, same thing. Tardist. Is what Tardist, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I could be politically incorrect. So, um, the, <laughs> the I guess with that, uh, being able to, to put those artists out in, in that way, like, I guess when I think about the idea of a label and the perception, like me as a consumer of music, when I hear an artist like Chance the Rapper or, you know, any number of artists that yeah. have the ability to build it, like any art, I could, I could go online today and start a SoundCloud page and like blow up and may not necessarily need a label or, or maybe that's the wrong perception. But like, how do you balance the perception of what a label is supposed to bring to the table and how the industry has changed and, the, you know, and kind of like navigating the, the two differences? For sure. I'll I'll start by saying this. I honestly was one of those guys who just purely loved the music. I never looked at a label um, with any type of like, you know, good or bad connotation. I just was like, I mean, I I had interned at Def Jam in college, so I kind of understood what it meant to be at the label. Um, You know, someone like Chance the Rapper, who's an independent artist, I think what people don't know is that he's got financial backing. And I think at the end of the day, like money is, is, is super helpful in order for for an artist to do anything. The cool thing I realized about labels is that like we've got a radio promo team that's going to fight and keep on, you know, keeping tabs on all these stations uh, to make sure they're, they're aware of what we're doing musically. And I think that's a huge help. Like, I don't think Travis Scott could be Travis Scott without having a radio promo team like Epic does to continuously, Mm -hmm. you know, communicate with the stations and make sure he's doing the radio promo tours and make sure he's doing the, you know, what is it, summer fests or summer jams or whatever. Like, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that I think a label brings to the table so outside like basically of Basically, like it's a bigger engine, right? It's like, a, yeah, it's exactly. A, it's a bigger engine than what I've built on my own. A hundred percent. I feel like, you know, I, there was a manager that came in the other day that mentioned that, you know, one of his artists, his project was great. It was a reggae artist, Chronics. Project was great, but he's an independent artist. And because of that, he just was never able to cross over to mainstream. He found a he, you know, a very supportive. Like I, I stumbled upon the music and I loved the project. Mm-hmm. But you know, his new artist Coffee is transcending. He, she's got mainstream appeal, mm-hmm. you know, and she's talking to major labels. And he's saying, like, look, that's the, that's the kind of thing that you know a major label can bring to the table. It's exposure and right. ability to to really cross over and create. Uh, something special that the world can appreciate instead of just 
a niche audience. And then having somebody like you kind of, you know, create other magical moments. Yeah, hopefully. What, I mean, what, so the poster, the missing poster thing for an example. Yeah. Like, what's your starting point? Are you looking at like pain points for each individual artist? Are you looking to, you know, kind of get the label's name out there in a, in, in a, association with said marketing initiative um like where's that like where's the business starting point and then where's the creative starting point i'll start with the creative um i don't even really think i mean the business i guess that just happens for me like i looked at ade and was just trying to figure out like all right what's his story what's the story how do we storytell around his journey because if he just comes out like it's and you know well actually i'll go back to business right so I was chatting with Sylvia Rowan. She's the president of um, Epic, and she assigned me to Ade, um, probably because she knew I was from back home. And actually, oddly enough, Ade and I went to South by together years ago. We're roommates, so oh, I, wow. I got to <laughs> I got to meet him, you know, and, and work, you know, or be in in close vicinity with him. So I got to know him pretty well um, years ago. And, and Sylvia didn't even know that. It just was one of those like full circle moments, right? Um, but my whole thing was like, look, as a DC guy, I was rooting for Phil to be the next Wale, and it mm. didn't happen. But when he had that opportunity after signing at, at Epic, I was like, all right, how do we bring him back? You know, he actually was, interestingly enough, he changed his name to Ade because he wanted a fresh start. And so with the missing poster, we actually put his entire- Philip. He didn't want to go with Philip. Someone, <laughs> someone said that Phil Ade sounded like, a struggle rapper at a um, open mic. And, <laughs> wow. and after that, I was like, all right, really? you know what? I trust Phil in changing his name. <laughs> and um, I thought it was just a, a smart idea. But when it came to like figuring out how to translate that and tell the story, it was like, all right, how do we make some noise in the city he's from? Sylvia was like, let's focus on winning DC first. So I was like, all right, cool. Being from DC, let me go to the mindset of a consumer because I'm mm -hmm. a fan first. And I was like, damn, Phil hasn't put out anything in a while. It's almost like he's been missing. And I went on Twitter and typed in, where's Phil Ade? Or Phil Ade, rather. And most mm -hmm. of the things that I saw coming up were like, where the fuck is Phil Ade? What happened to Phil Ade? So all of those things made me say, hmm, how can we flip that right. and change the conversation? Or at least let, take that information and create something that taps in to all the consumers looking for Phil. And that's how that came to life. So I guess Sylvia was like, focus on DC. Right. And I was like, all right, cool. If we're focusing on DC, we have to do something that DC folks can understand. And I think it went over well. You know, it was one yeah. of those things that people started to post it on social and, mm -hmm. and were general, genuinely concerned about his well-being. And then other people were like, yo, this is genius marketing. Other people were like, yo, like, this is fucked up. Why you guys <laughs> but, no, it, but again, it, it goes, goes back. back. Exactly. It's That's, like exactly you what I want. want conversation, especially in an era of social media. Like, it's, you know, any moment, whether live or digital, like, has to translate into some form of virality. 100%. But, um, you said a word again, and I don't think you, I don't think it was nomenclature, but just uh, trust, right? You trusted Phil changing his name. Like, that, oh, yeah, that began yeah, this yeah. sort of thing. And a thing different than a Red Bull or a Nike shoe, right? You're dealing with a human being. Yeah. Um, they have opinions. The can can't talk back to you, right? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. um, the can won't not show up at a, you know, at an event where it's, it's supposed to be, unless a truck falls over. So, you know, how's your transition been? and working with artists in this capacity and working with human beings in this capacity and like, you know, that brain trust. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, I worked at Nike for three years and Red Bull for two and a half, three years, and that was on the brand marketing side. So you're focused on selling a product, right? You may, uh, on the Nike side, it's like you're, you know, you talk to the designer and they tell you what go, what went into the shoe. Why did LeBron want this thing here, or why did you know Paul George want to add this feature here, or Kyrie with this here, you know? Um, so you get the insight, but then you're told to sell the shoe, and that's kind of straightforward. With the can or with Red Bull, it was like, all right, cool. You're working in the music and culture space. You're gonna create these experiences. Um, and it's pretty straightforward. Like, you know, it's, 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 a inanimate, inanimate object that you're essentially selling to the folks with, uh, with artists, it's different because they're living and breathing and they, you know, like you said, they talk back, they may have an opinion on, um, you know, a treatment for a video that you think is, is horrible, but they dig it. And I think it's just, you know, you, you have to kind of find the happy medium. I think the, the thing that a lot of people don't, consider is uh management management is actually the most important um element in my opinion to an artist's success um good managers that understand their artists and can communicate with the label or whoever they need to um so i have good rapport with management uh with all the artists i work with and i think you know if if they're um really putting their artists first and they have uh kind of a just really like an aggressive approach to making sure that their artist is being heard or, mm-hmm. or being presented correctly, then, you know, we find that middle ground and we, and we move forward. Honestly, for example, Dre, our day's manager, I've known him for years. He's just like a super important person in the DC metropolitan area. Uh, just the music and culture work with Raheem Devon, who's one of the first uh, big artists out of the city. Um, he's kind of touched like pretty much everything that come out of DC he's been involved with or tapped into in some way, shape or form. And he didn't like the missing posters of our day mm. at first. But I was like, bro, you just trust me with this one. Like, I know it's my first rodeo, but like, just <laughs> trust me. And he hit me. It was so great. Um, he hit me afterwards and was like, bro, like, this idea was genius. Great work. And I was <laughs> like, you know, that's like my OG. So hearing that was dope. How do you ha- um, like? How do you handle the let's call it pressure, but, you know, the risk, I guess in doing something like that where there are going to be naysayers at the concept. Yo, I mean, I got called out in the meeting. We were on video conference with uh, New York and one of the one of my, my colleagues was like, yo, no disrespect. I think this shit is wild corny in his New York accent. And I was like, and it was like one of those moments where I was just like, I really appreciated his transparency because, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, they're kind of just like, everyone's going to be quiet and if it goes bad then they'll talk shit mm-hmm. he was like look this is this is why i think it sucks and i respected that but i also was like i take i took his insight with a bit you know with a grain of salt because i'm from dc and he's from new york mm-hmm. he doesn't really understand what goes on in the ground in my city right so i was like okay i definitely appreciate you saying it and a lot of people after after the meeting were like oh my god why would he do that i was like honestly that was great because i think it's good to challenge at the end of the day, he's on my team. Yep. He doesn't want to see us fail. So it's important to have, you know, the proper red team to kind of poke holes in your ideas. Um, and I mean, you know, I think a lot of marketing is gut. Like nobody knows what's going to work. Even A&Rs that are signing the talent 
and picking the singles. They don't know what's going to work. A lot of times. So true. It's such a shot in the dark. And I think. Exactly. Even with like, you know, because we, we focus on a lot of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in this. You know, I was helping a friend of mine out recently with her um, investor presentation. And, you know, you got to do that three-year projection of how yep. much. Like, you don't, like, nobody yeah, knows, exactly. right? Like, you you can set off, <laughs> you know, three years from now, like, and yep. you're doing anything that's, like, technology-based. Like, who, yeah. who Things knows? change so fast. And, or especially even culturally because we just get exposed to so many different things so often. Yep. It's like, it, that's why, like, there's Twitter moments. Literally, like, moments. Like, oh, I can't believe this happened today. Or look mm. how funny this is. And then it's gone. Like, yep. it's, it's so, but collectively, it just, it's this slow shift with a lot of information in it. I don't even know where I'm going right now, but, um, <laughs> but I just, I, I think about just like the number of inputs we have to deal with from a, somebody on your team to like knowing where the culture is to, you know, all these, all the different pieces to manage. No question there. Just thinking out loud. Nah, yeah. I, I hear that a hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's tough, but, uh, I don't know. It's the only, I think this is the first time at a job I felt a hundred percent comfortable, super diverse in there. Uh, Sylvia is, you know, she's, she's been in the industry for a while and worked with everybody. So she's super tapped in. I mean, she's in her sixties and she understands who the top TikTok influencers are, or she understands like just what's going on on the ground. She knows that Shaba is the coolest reggae party in Los Angeles. Like, (laughs) and she'll be in the strip club with DDG to help break a record. She's, she's tapped in. And I think she's looking for people that are also you know, tapped into the culture because she understands that's the way that you're going to break an artist. I can't tell if you shouted her out or if you put her on blast. It's like, nah, <laughs> man, that's, 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 that's a big shout out because I think at the end of the day, anybody that's been around, like I was in Boston this past weekend chatting uh, at my alma mater and she was also in Massachusetts that weekend at Berkeley School of Music getting honored. And, you know, it's just, she, she, she's, she's a, she's a go-getter and it's really interesting to be in a room and watch her, run a meeting like you know she's i'm 32 she's in her 60s and she's killing it and i don't see it slowing down at any yeah. at any point well I was, I was it kind of brings me to another question because i think about the idea of longevity especially in something as culturally you know connected as music um but then you like you know you start off with the electro. You're talking about Gen Z of millennials. Mm-hmm. Then you know she's damn near boomer, right? Like yep. there's this, and I'm Gen X. So what have you learned from let's call it the older generations and vice versa, right? Because I think when I look at like oh the even the photos and the videos I looked at at electro, I'm like ah oh, that's how people are getting down, and it creates this whole <laughs> like cycle of creativity for me because it's like I yeah. get exposed to it, but also like know some tried and true things that I might be able to bring to the table. So how do you go about bridging that gap between what you're learning generationally? Yeah, I mean, you know, f- the cool thing about doing Trilectro and then working at, at a label is that I have basically a sample group that I can always look at and be like, okay, this is what's going on. This is what's working. This is the kind of music that, that's happening, at least in the East Coast, specifically in D.C. Um, I think from the Gen Z, I, I feel like they are more transparent, right? Like I was watching Billie Eilish um, on hot ones the complex uh video wings eating series and before she started she took out her invisalign and i feel like back in the day like you never see michael jackson take out his invisalign or his nose aha uh-huh. 
Ha <laughs> 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 ha. Hold, hold on, let you, me take off my nails first. You never see that though. You never, you right. know, no one would ever be like. That was a good Michael Jackson impression, by the way. Just, it was pretty. I managed to kind of rolled over it, but it was all right. You know, shout out to Michael. The next show I'm going to do, I'm just host <laughs> as Michael Jackson. <laughs> sure. Welcome to Innovation Crush. It's me. <laughs> you know what? Actually, let me take. It. I, I want to I use someone else because he's controversial right now. You would never see just people be oh, yes. as transparent. You know, you right. just wouldn't see Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And I think Gen Z, like, there's an artist named Kuko who's just super. He's, uh, I think he's he's a Latin X artist. He makes kind of like, I don't want to call it folk music. It's like poppy pop music, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting stuff. And just like the way he. Uh, is very um, engaging with his fans and the way he talks on the internet is just like he's vulnerable and I feel like I see a lot more vulnerability and just kind of like open-mindedness acceptedness within the Gen Z's you know they're also not always looking for a superstar they're looking for somebody that they can relate to and who's going through the same thing you know they may big up their homie that makes clothing that they and they may want to rock their homie shit Instead of like, you know, the Supremes or right. the other shit. And I think maybe the older generation, just more structure and more like, um, I mean, being safer, I guess. You mm -hmm. know, I think older generations a little safer. What are we looking for? Uh, like, I'm, I'm right like, in between. Yeah. So are you looking for like the potholes? Like, you know, you, from a strategic standpoint, you're like, okay, where might we miss Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think, uh, and I'm just trying to like culminate what you're saying, because then it's all just like the gut and the emotion and the the vulnerability. And I mean, I find like, like I'm a, I'm a, you know, I did stand up comedy for years. And um, one of the things I find recently is a lot of, even in comedy, there's a lot of like emotional, like un unpacking. <laughs> See, I told you my, my heart just broke. That was good. <laughs> uh, but no, it's like. Like I look at um, what's the guy's name? Neil Brennan, right? Uh -huh. He did this three yeah, mic yeah, special. Yeah, like it. it was very yeah. honest. Uh, uh, Gerard Carmichael just directed a special with a guy named Drew Michael, and that was like single camera, sound stage, no audience, and it was it oh, felt wow. like a therapy session. Like, yeah. and you and you, I could name Chris Gethard. Like, there's so many people who have just come out and. Is not just all jokes, and I think the same thing happens in music. I mean, that same example like for me is Drake. Like Drake yeah, will tell exactly. you the most personal story. He's like, remember the time we was in the drive-through and I gave you the extra five dollars? <laughs> he's like, but he's it's in a song, and yeah. I don't even know who he's talking about. But I, I've had that experience in the drive-through, like yeah. you know, and it's not just you know uh, whips and chains as, as exactly. So, so um, as we wind down, um, if. Uh, I'm curious, as you've seen a lot of things culturally, you have a lot of cultural inputs. I keep saying culture, but, you know, I, I know you, you hit me to some London artists uh, recently. We were sharing oh, yeah. some people. Um, Dave, Dave yeah. <laughs> which I've had heavy rotation ever since then. Awesome. Um, uh, but, you know, your, your parents, the Nigerian factor, like all these things. Like, what have you seen out in the world that you are currently having an innovation crush on? Like, what's something that's like oh, gives you goosebumps when you encounter it? Uh Good question. I mean, you know, I was fortunate enough to to grow up with parents that, um, you know, didn't do taxes. <laughs> well, they're both they're both Nigerian, so I was I was in Nigeria a fair amount uh, growing up, and and still I go back every two or three years. Uh, my mom also, you know, grew up in London, so I was there a lot as a kid as well, and I was able to just see different cultures. Um, I still stay tapped into the to the UK scene. Um, one thing I've really seen, I, I love UK because they're tapped into 
to what the U.S. does, but they also have their own sound, their own vibe, um, their own style. So, I mean, I really like what's going on out there. Um, it's really been really cool to see kind of um, the U.K. And, and Canada rising in the music space. My homegirl, Tiffany, Tiffany Calvert, is actually on tour DJing, uh, opening Drake's tour right now. And to me, that shows you like, and she's from the UK. So just to see, you know, somebody like Drake uh, show love to to the UK like that. I mean, he's always been huge on connecting the dots, and, and you know, he he put gigs on. He's he, you know, he, I think he just bought the Top Boy series. He did. He well, he tried to get them to do a season three, and he was gonna put yeah. Money into you know, it. you know, yeah. they just dropped a trailer for it, so it's, oh, it, it's they, coming oh, out. Nice, it's coming out. So it's like. To me, that's that's innovation in, in it its is, own way, you know. I, 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 well, to I think we all see cool things. We don't all do things about it, right? And I think exactly. the same thing happens from an entrepreneurial perspective. It's like, oh, taxis are really inconvenient for what you know, and then somebody comes along and is like, I'm gonna build a company called Uber, <laughs> yeah. and I, like I'm so frustrated at whatever this problem is, or you know, I'm so. There's so much Canadian talent that we have not put on yet, so I'm I'm gonna figure out a way to, to give them some shine. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I mean, you know, to go back to to Africa, I mean, you've got Burna Boy, right? Who's coming out of Nigeria? You've got Wizkid. You've got a lot of these sounds. When I was growing up, my dad was like, "Pay attention to to what's happening in, in Africa with the music." And honestly, I didn't have the foresight. You know, mm-hmm. I knew I knew I, I liked a lot of the music, but I didn't think the U.S. would be ready for it ever. And right now, I know Burner Boy just sold out a big show in New York. Um, he's, you know, to me, he's the best artist out of Nigeria right now. And he's working with everybody. Um, I know he has a project coming out soon. He just dropped something the other day. And, you know, he's a special artist. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, again, like there's people that are realizing what's going on out there and figuring out ways to tap into it. Um you know, so I think that's really special, and and I guess I have the innovation crush on, on yeah. that. No, I was in uh, I was in Nairobi, I don't know, four or five years ago, and same thing. Like the music that I've discovered there, and especially mm-hmm. like being at parties, and like it's one thing to just hear it, somebody sends you a link or you watch a video. It's another thing to be, be there, there and see how pe- like everybody else is and 100%. like and find your own connection in the in the midst of all that. Um, last but not least, yeah, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is, I don't know if this is going to make sense to everybody, but I'd say innovation to me is like strategic creativity. Um, by that, I mean, I don't know. I feel like you got to harness or leverage that, that creative, creative energy or whatever, you know, you have to, you have to leverage that creativity and figure out what you can do with it. Cause I feel like if you understand, um, if you understand culture and you understand the movers and shakers in, in whatever community you're in, like for me, I deal with a lot of creatives, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I see there's this dude on, on Instagram, Nichols, right? Uh, spelled like, you know, the, the, the coin. Um, he's super creative. And what he's been doing is d- doing these like really cool, uh, I want to say it's CGI. He's basically creating these like weird like like for example Jake Paul I think that that's the dude mm-hmm. that's the famous dude right yeah, yeah. Logan and his brother yeah Logan Jake. and Jake one of those brothers he basically created this CGI like selfie camera that comes out of his arm and he you know he he posted this shit on on IG and it, it went nuts 
he did the same thing with this rapper named Nestle, who's known for his auto tune. And I think it's one of those things that the internet kind of shits on him for. So Nestle went to Nichols and they made this like crazy. Uh, it looks so real that I was like, I had to call friends like, yo, what's going on? <laughs> but he made this like auto tune. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he made this auto tune like, uh, what do you want to call it? It was like a implant in his arm and it came out. And Nessie would sing into it and his and his voice would change in the autotune. And it was just like, and now I'm literally trying to work with this dude with my artist to figure out what do we do with that? Yeah. You feel me? So I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think this me, is an intersection you know, of like applied creativity, you know, yeah. is where innovation comes from. Because I think there's a class of creator who makes stuff just because you can make it. Then there's somebody who goes like, Ah, I know what I could use that for. Exactly. Right. And and suddenly you've got this magic that's been created. So hundred percent. Um so where where can people find you? Where can they find Trelectro? Where can they find, you know, whatever else you you're into? For sure. Yeah. My handle on, on all socials is at DC T O B C. DC for you know where I'm from and Boston College is the other part. Trelectro on all socials is just Trelectro, T R I L L. E-C-T-R-O. And yeah, I live in L.A., so if you're ever out here, holler at me on social, and uh, you know maybe we can link up. Sounds good to me. Um, everybody, thank you. Did no, you, thank you, man. This was dope. Yeah, you, had a, you, uh, you, you, you blessed us with some wisdom. <laughs> um, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>